Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition for the last 30 years. It's Rosie on the House. And on this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, We have a very interesting guests in the studio this morning. This is the 7 o'clock hour of Rosie on the House, where we cover interesting Arizona people, places, and things. And we've got two very interesting Arizona uh, guests in today that specialize in training. You know, we are uh, in the spirit of, you know, be prepared. The Boy Scout motto is being prepared. We've got first aid classes that we've taken before, but uh, our guests bring that up to the next level of, of of preparedness. And we've got Dan Green and Scott Garzuzzi. Did I get that right? You did. Garzuzzi uh, from RIM Training. Well, a little bit about your uh, past, Dan. You guys both have very accomplished resumes in a very short period of time. I'm guessing by the looks you're both under 40. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, local uh, here in Arizona, um, northern Arizona to be uh, exact. And uh, immediately out of high school, I uh, graduated and I was able to, fortunate enough to go into the Army. And uh, I went through the warrant officer program. So I was able to fly helicopters. Uh, I got to do that for a number of years. And my first introduction into kind of the medicine world was I got to fly medevac. So um, I got to deal with a lot of medical patients and flying them to and from the hospital and dealing with um, the medics in the back that taught me a lot of information. And as I kind of transitioned out of the Army into the civilian world, I got into a local police department um, here in the Valley, and I got on their tactical team. And through being on the tactical team, I met my good friend here, Mr. Scott Garzuzzi, and we began learning about how trauma medicine. I learned it in the military, and then we started, I thought that it would transition into law enforcement and the fire department, and it really didn't. It was something that was kind of new. Uh, it's been around for a while, but it was new to this kind of civilian genre. And um, we took what the information that we knew, and we started teaching local, local police departments, hey, this is how you save a life. This is how you um, keep people alive on, uh, during traumatic events, such as these active shooters we have happening all around the country. And we'll bring it into the home as well. There's a lot of things that can happen in the home that create trauma and what to do in that critical time before the medical team arrives to keep somebody stabilized and and well till uh till the ambulance arrives but scott your background in history real quick and real quick you uh dan you said northern arizona where uh we're we're a pretty big state here williams arizona williams small little town yeah gateway to the grand canyon absolutely so i came from southern california born and raised out there uh worked for a fire department out there and moved my way out here, worked, started working in a local hospital at a trauma center, did 11 years of that, uh, worked on night shifts, so I got to see a lot of the worst of the worst, but we also get to treat a lot of different types of injuries that come through. Uh, got together with Dan as I transitioned into a different role in the hospital, and then, like he said, we came up with this program to teach law enforcement, also work with military, work with civilians, anybody else that needs training, we're always there for. And so the service that y'all provide, there's a number of different training sessions. Talk me through a couple of them. Um, really what we're into or what we teach our kind of bread and butter is the trauma medicine or trauma intervention. 
You know, how do you do tourniquets? How do you stop the bleeding? Um, chest seals and hemostatic agents are like a quick clot type type deal. Um, we teach a corporate defense type type um, classes where, you know, what do you do if you are trapped in an environment and should something chaotic occur? How do I defend myself? Um, how does the average layman do that? Uh, CPR, basic CPR, first aid, first aid classes. We even get into site assessments. So if someone, a company or someone's like, hey, you know, how do I protect my building? How do I deter something bad from happening? We'll take a look at your, your facilities and, and give you recommendations. Um, the other thing we've also been kind of, people been interested is kind of a, even a counter sniper type stuff, meaning, you know, what happens if um, kind of like the Mandalay Bay, you know, what happens if I'm getting shot at and I have no idea where it's coming from? How do I counter that? How do I keep myself and my family and my loved ones protected and safe? And each one of these sessions, you've got two different aspects. You've got the tactical side, your specialty, and you've got Scott's specialty, the medical side. Yes, yes. Um, and that's really how we, we really work off each other. And even some of our instructors is the same way where, um, I, you know, we were talking about it earlier, where a lot of times I start getting in the weeds with some of the tactical skills inside of, of uh, how to convey information and my partner Scott's like, whoa, bring it back. Let's, let's talk this more in simplistic terms or vice versa. Scott will, will start uh, getting in the weeds with his terms, and I'm like, whoa, that is over my head. So let's make sure that our audience understands, hey, this is what's important. This is what you need to grasp out of this conversation. Now, how long are these training sessions? Is this a one-time thing? Is this a reoccurring thing? Um, some, our sessions vary. The most minimal uh, time that we can kind of, we've noticed that we're able to convey this information is about a two hour time frame. If you're going from absolutely no training whatsoever, um, about two hours is the minimum. Now we do offer classes, our, our kind of bread and butters are usually around the four hour because that's about the amount of time people are allotted to, to spend with us. Uh, ideally we would yeah, like- Yeah, any more than that, you'd think it'd be information overload. You'd start forgetting what you- <laughs> Yeah. Um, but we do offer full eight hours and even a couple day courses where it, it really turns in from a kind of a lecture to more hands-on to even scenario-based type stuff. And you also have progressive classes as well, so you can yes. start uh, baby steps. Yes, yes, baby baby steps. And again, time. A lot of it has to do with just time. Is Yeah, a couple hours here, a couple hours there to build uh, the progression of knowledge. And you mentioned you work with a lot of military, police, but you also work with corporate, and you put together um, civilian classes as well? Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of, it's, it's just stopping the, uh, bringing that first aid, that trauma uh, me medicine or intervention to as quick as possible. I mean, because if we think about it, you know, uh, when you call 911, um, it's probably already been a couple minutes before they even arrive on scene, before they're even doing anything. So if we can reduce that down to basically, you know, 20, 30 seconds of, hey, this is when the incident occurred to you actually now uh, taking charge of the situation and buying more time for that individual, that just enhances their probability to, to be alive and healthy afterwards. And what investment level are, am I looking at in getting engaged in these classes? I mean, is this going to, you know, am I going to have to call out a student loan? Oh, no. <laughs> No, no. Well, so when we do our corporate trainings and so forth, usually generally our packages start usually around twelve to $1,500 and, in, you know, includes um, uh, 15 to 20 people. And usually that's how we get it started. Um, as far as individual bases, we generally start um, 
with like open sessions. We usually were a group of people, let's say a group of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts want to learn some of our training. We usually get a, a, a designated number of people, like a minimum amount, and we have them put together some type of uh, like a conference and we'll put together a class for them and we'll get it set up. So, And y'all go through a number of a lot of training yourselves to keep current and, you know, new medical discoveries, new sciences, new techniques, you know, all these discoveries. It's not like we're based on what I learned 20 years ago at my time in the military. Right. And I'll let, I'll let Scott pick up on that one. As far as the medical goes, it's a ever-evolving area. So we're always looking at different areas, different things, new equipment that comes out, and we're looking at all the research that always comes out. So we're looking at any data that's collected through any, um, I guess, bad situations. And if we can analyze that a little bit and incorporate certain techniques or certain equipment into it and say this is what is now proven to be better, that's what we're always going with. So it makes it kind of easy on our end because there's always research in the medical field. And as we go through the, this hour, by the end of it, the, we'll have you guys ready to how to build your own first aid kit for your home. Everybody should have uh, have one. You know how far you live from uh, your your nine one one services will factor into what happens there. Your your house, what kind of injuries would are likely? You know, ladder falls still the number one cause of homeowners being sent to, to emergency rooms, but, you know, a lot of things can happen on a fall. We've got impalements, lacerations that on the way down where we land. So we'll just walk through a couple of those common, uh, common things that y'all have seen and trained for, but everything you're teaching here revolves, uh, is covered under the Good Samaritan Law. Take a minute to walk me through what parameters I'm, I'm allowed to operate in under the Good Samaritan Law. So the Good Samaritan law is a basic coverage for any bystander that witnesses something or decides to intervene and help. It basically states you can practice up until your level of training and you will be covered for many lawsuits. But you also agree not to take any gifts or donations from that person if you worked on them. And it's just a basic coverage for anybody. So if I walked up to somebody that had a cut on their arm and I put a tourniquet on, they're not going to turn around and sue me because I've been trained on how to do it. It varies on your licensure and your training. So a doctor can do a lot more on scene versus me because I don't have an MD behind my name. And what do you have behind your name? Is, is all this training, am I getting a certificate? Am I getting a plaque? Do I have a little card that I put in? Or is it uh, something on my next to my donor, organ donor on my driver's license? Is there another mark that gets added? So it varies on the level of training that we put you through. Your basics, when we hit your CPR, you can carry your BLS card. And then we can also get you through the RIM training standards, which is covered under our advisory board. We have a board that advises us on certain things that we should be teaching and can't be teaching. They also review all of our stuff as well. So we're backed up by an MD, a paramedic, and another tactical officer as well. Excellent. And that's a certificate I get when I go through all this training? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, does it have an expiration date, like my your concealed weapons permit? You know, that's got a five-year shelf life, and then you've got to go back to your reoccurrent. Does this have a shelf life? It's about every two years. Oh. Same as your BLS card, because in that two years, you can get a lot of information that changes over time. So we either need to correct something that we taught you in the beginning, and then they've improved on it, or now we work our way towards 
something different now. Okay. Well, we're going to come back after this quick break and talk about the things and injuries that can occur around the home. We're going into a lot of holiday decorating season, and there's usually somebody gets wet or electrocuted, stringing lights somehow, somewhere along the way. I've been there. Um, accidents, ladder falls. We're going to be on ladders a lot, hanging uh, Christmas lights and moving around the home. And just people. You know, the more people you add into the equation, the more likely something's going to happen. We're going to have a lot of guests over. We're going to be in environments where there's going to be a lot of guests. So what uh, what to do in that situation where the bad, the worst happens? And because, hey, you got to be prepared. Cruise it through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. So I thought we should have a CPR training class. Of course, you can't get the practice dummy unless the instructor comes along with it. Red Cross, racket. Well, we don't have the Red Cross. We have RIM training. What does RIM stand for? Like Mogion RIM? No, it stands for uh, Reactive Imminent Medical Training. Ah, uh, Reactive Imminent Imminent Medical Training. Got it. What's the difference between trauma versus first aid before we go into some of these injury examples? So trauma is more of your immediate life-threatening injuries, things that might kill you within minutes if you don't deal with that appropriately. First aid, kind of take it back to your Boy Scouts when we're teaching you how to splint somebody using a stick or some Band-Aids or some gauze, things like that. Okay. Talk through some of the injuries that are commonly sustained at the home. You started laughing when we went to the break talking about Christmas lights. You said, yeah, that's what this scar right here above my eye is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have a great personal story on that one. Uh, Just hanging Christmas lights, and I was hanging up my nails. And I left the ladder on top of the, or the hammer on top of the ladder. I went to uh, move the ladder uh, over because I couldn't reach. The ladder fell down, smacked me right in the top of the forehead. What kind of hammer? Was it like uh, a 32-ounce a S-wing, or was this like a little 5-ounce wood handle? Uh, you know, I remember decorative. correctly. I think it was a Stanley, <laughs> one of the claws. Nice and heavy. It had some weight to it. So then draw blood. You got a scar, obviously. It was... Drew blood, required some stitches, and uh, got fixed up pretty quick. Right back to hanging up Christmas lights. (laughs) All right, so other than the tools falling on your head from a ladder, that is very common. Never leave. Uh, I know no one reads the caution signs or warning signs, but never leave a tool on top of a ladder, and that's why. And Even if you remember it, it doesn't mean somebody else that... Uh, might be on site or working in that same area, doesn't know you left a hammer up there before they go and move in a frame ladder and something falls down. That is correct. I didn't read the instructions, and I didn't follow my own instructions. It's been about 10 years, and I do it now every time. All right, so other than that, uh, ladder falls, very common. Even just hearing this broadcast, it'll make somebody just a little bit slightly more aware and may even prevent uh, an injury this Christmas season because you're going to take that extra 20 seconds to walk down the ladder, move it over two feet, and climb back up to instead of trying to reach that extra three inches that I could just, just get to. We have all been there. Yeah, all guilty of that. <laughs> other in, other types? Um, yeah, so uh, another major injury that I remember as a kid um, is uh, when I was working at the construction site, you know, my my family, we owned a construction business. And so uh, when we had, we just got done rolling the trusses, we got them all set, and we were going around cutting the tails and the ends off of them and getting them fit so that when they did all the shearing and everything looked nice. Um, well, back in the day, we took the guard on our skill saw, pinned it back, 
and one of the guys was cutting those tails. He goes to stand up, forgot that uh, the blade was still spinning and that the guard was pinned back, stands up and just fillets his, his uh, cuts his leg wide open. And of course, at the time, we didn't have any training, but we were lucky he didn't hit an artery or anything that was vital. And uh, all of us guys go running up to this gentleman that cut his leg wide open, and we're just holding pressure. And there's just, it just, it, it, was, it was a bloody scene. It was a scary scene. We, we didn't know what to do. But um, fortunately, the ambulance and the fire department were pretty much right down the street, and they were, thank goodness, they were able to get there very quickly. Um, and they were able to apply uh, uh, more trauma and first aid intervention. And the guy ended up living, but I'll tell you what, it was super scary because I was just so foreign to me at the time and foreign to everyone uh, everyone at the job site. Another big power tools, uh, chainsaws, trimming trees, uh, working in your wood shop. So what happens then? Uh, you said it was very foreign to you and didn't know what to do. So what do I do now in this type? What, what would you have done today? Today? Today, I would immediately have, have applied a, like a tourniquet or some type of pressure dressing. Um, it was just fortunate enough at that time that um, we just reacted just trying to based on common sense, but it was really pure luck instead of any type of training and, re and reacting accordingly. So in this situation where we've got a saw cut on the leg, how would you apply a tourniquet in that situation on site? Um, we'd apply the tourniquet as high up on the limb as possible. Okay. So um, above? Above the wound. And we'd get as almost as high up in the, the junctural area. So for this case, if it's on the thigh, we're getting it almost high up in the groin area. And we're going to apply it as tight as we can possibly get it and apply as many tourniquets as, as we now, need. Now, I don't often carry a tourniquet. I mean, you can makeshift a tourniquet a lot of different ways. On uh, what, what physically is this tourniquet so accomplishing? It, it's compressing down on the artery itself. So we're either trying to stop the blood supply that's going down to that limb, or we're trying to at least slow it down so that I can get the proper equipment out and take care of it from there. There's a couple different directions you can head with when we call it hemorrhage control. Uh, the tourniquet is number one, then your direct pressure. You can also cut over the, put your fingers over the arteries if you can. We drop a knee in the groin, things like that. It's a whole bunch of different methods to try to get it to stop bleeding nowadays. You're trying to cut off the blood supply from the heart to that limb because obviously the return valve isn't working. <laughs> yes. And during that time that we stop the bleeding, because obviously if you cut off the blood supply too long, that limb's going to start to... So interesting facts on modern medicine, at <laughs> least. It, before, tourniquets were a bad no-no. Nowadays, it's actually, you can keep it on for up to six hours. The longest case is 19 hours now where they saved a limb. Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Okay, and the ambulance didn't arrive because nobody called 911, so you lost him. Okay, he's dead. Anyone know what we do next? We bury him. Wrong. Eh. Check for an organ donor card. If he has one, we only have minutes to harvest. <laughs> was that a little insight to what a typical training class is like? That's, on? that's perfect. That was perfect. That was awesome. Joined by Scott Garzuzzi, the director of RIM Training, and Dan Green, CEO. RIM is for Reactive Imminent, Imminent Medical Training. Yep. We were talking through blunt objects, uh, trauma, la falling off ladders. We've got a couple other things. When you f Impalements uh, are something that will bring a homeowner into a uh, that what what do you do if you walk across a situation like that? 
do you leave the object in? Do you try and pull it out? You know, I've, I saw, uh, gosh, uh, you know, you remember when Robert Duvall had that arrow stuck in his leg and he had his friend push it all the way through, <laughs> cut it off and rip it back out? Or should he have left it in there to keep the, to keep the blood creating a, a bleeding situation? <laughs> Should have left it in there, that's for sure. Uh, the um, impalements, uh, definitely, first thing you want to do, call 911, get the ambulance started. Once you get over that shock factor, you really need to leave it in. So there is a good story. Everybody remembers good old Steve Irwin when he got stung by the stingray and the bulb got stuck. He actually died because they removed the bulb and he bled out on the boat. They're not saying he would have survived it anyways, but he would have had a better chance of survival had they left it in. So an impalement, we just leave it in. Screwdriver, doesn't matter what it is. On a bleeding artery, how long do you have to cut that off before you know you, you, your loss of blood is too much to sustain life? So we base everything on volume in the medical side, so it depends on the volume that you lose. If your heart rate is going up and you're beating at 180 times a minute, you're going to bleed a lot faster. So the first step is to calm people down, and you might be able to buy yourself an extra minute or two. But you can bleed out from an artery in three minutes or less. Mm. All right. So, And then the last one, it's, it's a very hard topic to bring up, but you all have seen it, and it is a reality of, of the world, but walking in on a suicide injury. Yeah, and that, that is kind of a difficult subject to talk about, but it's like you said, it's a reality. Um, usually what happens under the you know studies and over and over we find is that once the act of uh, attempting the suicide happens, there's a lot of, oh, oh no, what did I just do? You know, I can't believe this is happening. I didn't want to do this. And uh, at that moment, your life is in peril. And maybe, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe a friend, a loved one, or even yourself can now reverse that decision and buy you time. And hopefully with the trauma intervention, hey, um, you're able to call 911, save your life, and now that decision, that, that horrible decision that was made can now be fixed and corrected so that way um, you live through the day. And this is a hard subject to really learn and become an expert at on the radio. These training classes are done in person, on site, in facilities. But let's talk me through building a first aid kit. Where we live, the closest hospital, driving at a controlled rate, not the speed limit, but the controlled rate, you're you're 25 minutes before you get to hospital. I've got a big Sintas uh, chest that's just full of gauze. and I mean, it, it, it is absolutely loaded just because I, I can't get anywhere in a fast time and nobody can get to us in a fast period of time. So it's come a long way, especially now with the medical helicopters and everything that's flying. So our times have decreased a little bit, but you still need to buy some of that time. It all starts with looking at the injury patterns and also looking at the stats on what's going to kill you the fastest. So we look at certain things when we build out our medical kits. It is, they're very costly when they get up there if you're using the right equipment. So we teach you different ways to make smaller ones. Tourniquets is always going to be number one. A tourniquet is the number one killer, and that's preventable. Now, where do I go buy a tourniquet? I mean, is this, is this something you can pick up at your grocery store? I mean, where, where am I going to find a tourniquet? <laughs> So nowadays, it's basically going to be online. Um, have to be careful. There's always counterfeits that are out there and people making cheap knockoffs that don't work. So make sure it's an approved vendor when you go through and order some of these. There's a lot of good medical suppliers. Find out from your police departments and your fire departments on who they use. They're usually using the approved vendors for sure. And what should a good tourniquet cost me? Roughly 35 bucks. So it's re relatively cheap when you think about it in terms of a life. And how many tourniquets do you have in, at your house right now? 
I mean, you're probably an exception because <laughs> your uh, your medical vehicle is probably equipped pretty heavily. <laughs> I have uh, quite a few tourniquets lying around. Every vehicle has two actual tourniquets themselves, and then I also have a bunch that I can make out of those. Uh, every vehicle has that. My motorcycle even has one in it. So I always have something with me that I can make one out of. So so my wife, she's uh, really big into crafting, and she's got all the bandsaws and the blades and everything. So we have uh, four tourniquets stationed right there, full trauma kit, in the garage, ready to go. Because sometimes, a lot of times I'm not home, and she's doing all her work. And if she, you know, whoops, you know, cuts off a finger or something like that, she can apply these tourniquets, and they're readily available. And when you say... Uh you know, approved medical supplier. I mean, give me some brand names here to, to look for. Where do you go shop online? So I shop through basically North American Rescue is the one that I use. Uh, they supply most of the first responders in the nation, and that's going to be number one. I would not buy anything off of Amazon because you never know where it's actually coming from. So they could sell something that sounds like a tourniquet, and it might only cost $11, but through North American Rescue, it's thirty two ninety nine. It's a fair price to go ahead and pay and have available for you. So past the tourniquet, what's the next uh, piece of equipment I'm looking to f- in my first aid trauma bag? The next killer you're looking at really is an airway. So that's more of a technique and walking you through the motions and getting comfortable with how to actually control somebody's airway. And then we can move into other things like your respirations, how you're breathing. They make a couple different things that work for sealing holes in chests. And something that will eventually kill you, it's a surgical fix no matter what, but it's something to prevent you from dying right then and there. So we're looking at things like that. And then we get into some of our bandaging supplies and some of the rest of those types of things. How many feet of medical tape? Don't really need medical tape. You got duct tape. (laughs) Duct tape? Okay. Duct tape works just fine. So some of the other things, too, is uh, with the bandages, there's also um, a couple products out there that called um, Quick Clot or Sealox. And what those are is they're the hemostatic agent. And, it, and essentially in layman's terms, they just help coagulate the blood so that it doesn't – it's like the, the natural clotting artery or clotting factor. So it slows, and sto- or slows or stops the bleeding. And those usually help, but those can get kind of – you know, there's a little pricey because you're looking, what, 45 bucks? About $45 a package. Sometimes you can get two packages stuffed into a wound to prevent bleeding or stop the bleed. So there's – all sorts of different things that are on the market. It's just a matter of what is cost-effective to you. Exactly. And you walk into a Cabela's, you walk into a Bass Pro Shop or a REI, any kind of hiking outdoors place. They have different size uh, first aid safety kits. Do, do y'all, is that good enough to start with, or are we looking? We're looking at a little different as far as that goes. A lot of that's just your Band-Aid fixes, those types of things, the things that you, a minor injury that you might have. This is more of I'm going to try to stop the bleeding, control the airway, control your breathing just a little bit, and prevent you from dying. This would be the immediate I'm going to die within 5 to 10 minutes if we don't intervene now. And how much do you have invested total? I mean, the experts probably have more than the average person is going to. I, I don't know that anyone's going to go get four uh, four tourniquets, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> when I ultimately look at some, some of the kits, the kit that I carry in my car or my motorcycle, I probably have about $150 invested. Okay. And with that amount of money, and I always equivalent it back to if I'm driving on the freeway and I witness an accident, I have enough stuff in there that I could probably treat four to six patients if I had to before the medical services actually showed up. So. I should have had you bring that up. Or did you drive your motorcycle or your car? I drove my car. 
<laughs> it's actually clipped on the back of the headrest. My wife knows where it is. My kids know where it is. So everybody in my family knows where it is if I actually need it. Uh, maybe next break I'll have you run down and grab it. That'd be fun to put it out and take a picture of it and put it on our archive page because this broadcast will be available at rosyonthehouse.com if you just click on the radio and Today's date, what is today? November 17th. This is the 7 o'clock hour. You'll have that entire podcast, and there'll be links. We'll put that Northern American Rescue link on there. We'll put a link to RIM Training's website if somebody's interested in organizing a training, whether it's a, a community, like you said, a Boy Scout troop, a Girl Scout troop, corporate office. Um, you also mentioned uh, earlier something else on, on active shooter, and we had that situation in thousand oaks which is what you said 10 miles from where you grew up yeah it is and it's just unfortunate that we live in a day and age where you know we have to be looking over our shoulder be prepared how we're going to react or how we're going to 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 respond to these type things um if you found yourself in that situation what just to keep it simple on on the radio you know and uh just can to convey to the listeners it's just the simple human response you're either going to run you're going to hide you're going to fight. I mean, that's just it. Um, the natural human reaction and the most ideal type situation is if you can run and get out of the situation, absolutely do that. But um, let's say you're a mother with a bunch of children, you know, where are you going to run to? Maybe you can't carry all the kids with you, or, or maybe you have some type of ailment. Um, maybe you can just hide, hide the best you can. I mean, we know we kind of joke and say, let's uh, not hide behind a glass window. Let's even if all you have is a little pony wall or a desk or something, hide behind that. Do the best that you can. Um, but then ultimately, if if you can't run or hide, you're just going to have to face and fight this this attacker or fight this problem, and that might be your last resort. Um, but if you do, you know, you just have to stay committed and stay committed to your survival and your very existence, um, and hopefully, you get through the day and and uh, get back to your loved ones. And you, nobody knows until you're in that situation which one you're going to do. You mentioned run, hide, or fight. Um, walking through the run, how far do you run? Run as far <laughs> as you can. You get away from the situation. Um, uh, you know, and we also talk about, too, is who you're running with, you know, the decisions you're going to make. Um, do you have, a, a, a like we, we say, a battle buddy or a friend that you're accountable for? Because maybe you leave the situation. And I say, well, if I'm with Scott and I get out, you know, well, where's Scott at? Where's he at? Who, how are we accountable to each other? And so forth. So maybe I can notify first responders, hey, Scott's not here with me. Where, how do I get in touch with him? And then in your hide, I mean, if, how long do you sit there? Do you wait till somebody in blue shows up and says, okay, you can come out now? Absolutely. You hide until, yes, somebody of authority or someone in blue is like, hey, you are safe. You can now come with us and you just follow their direction. Something just that simple. And looking at you, I made an assumption. You probably are both caring. Uh, and you're probably guys that would likely fight. Um, well, we kind of say this, use this example. Yes, with me being caring and all my experience, uh, tactical training experience, I say this. Uh, we use the example of being like in a grocery store, right? Let's say I'm at the back of the grocery store and this incident's going down in the front. I'm not going to go running through the grocery store to deal with this problem. I'm going to get my family and whoever's around me out. We're going to run. If I can't run, I'm going to hide with the people around me and, and kind of do the best I can to protect them. If I, The only reason I'm going to fight is if I'm at the front of this grocery store when this is option going Option A and down. option B aren't uh, viable. This is the last this resort. This is the last resort. Yes, we're not looking for hero. I don't have all my gear and all my awesome you know, radios and, and, and resources, and it's just a matter of me and this individual. So, yes, that would be the last thing that we would, we would do. Well, putting this together— you know, 
Gary and I were trying to decide what could we do uh, because you never know what what you will do for that situation. We thought, well, we want to see just how good our guests are. So I've got a special guest lined up that I want to introduce. Is he ready, Gary? Hey, all right, he's guys, ready. All right, mm-hmm. come on in, Tony. Come here. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 special guest is uh, got a lot of firepower there. <laughs> At Rosie on the House, we want you to get out and enjoy the great state of Arizona. That's why we bring you the Arizona Staycations. Pick up your car at Sanderson Ford. We'll set you up and your accommodations. Plus, Sibley's West Arizona Gift Shop, Serena's Candy, Coyote Ode Cookies, Sphinx State Ranch, Cactus Candy, and Arizona Highways always provide some swag for your trip. Win your Arizona Staycation. Register now only at rosieonthehouse.com. It's our wide open road. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford. We are not always going to be there. What are you going to do if you're by yourself and your heart stops? I would die. And you're okay with that? I'm okay with the logic of it. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Come on, get up. We've been joined this hour by Scott Garzuzzi and Dan Green. The owners and operators of RIM Training. It's RIM, R-I-M, Reactive Immediate Medical Training, AZ.com, RIMAZ.com. And this is something that uh, isn't a full-time profession. I mean, it, it very easily could be, but you just mentioned yesterday you guys were out serving some uh, warrants. Yeah, so my local, my other, what is it, flow of income, <laughs> you would say, uh, yes, is uh, serving search warrants, uh, criminal apprehension, and uh, just a lot of investigative work is what I do. And that is with, through, or can you not say? Uh, yeah, I'd love to say, but. A local law enforcement. A local Phoenix Metropolitan Law Enforcement Agency, yes. And Scott? So a local hospital sitting in the valley. Uh, and you've been, you'd mentioned earlier, at least 11 years at one, one specific uh, trauma center. Yes, worked 11 years there, trauma center, five years days, six years on nights. And then before that was firefighter paramedic in California. And we, y'all had wanted to put something together. If anybody listening, if we had enough interested listeners, we will put a, a class together, a four-hour class for December 16th. Uh, we're still working out the details of the location, uh, but it'll be somewhere in Central Phoenix near uh, near the broadcast, if not the training room down the road. So if you're interested in signing up for that, just email info at rosieonthehouse.com. And in the subject line, put R-I-M training class. And we'll just keep, we'll put a group email together and we'll coordinate the date and the location. What does somebody need to bring to that? Uh, do they need to bring any kind of special equipment or just show up and have a, enough water to last you four hours? Show up and have enough water, wear comfortable clothing, uh, and we will walk you through the rest of the steps from there. We bring all the training equipment. We'll bring the knowledge, maybe bring a notebook to write down some notes, and we'll give you the rest of the info. If Do you I need to be ready for any physical activity, or am I just sitting watching the whole time? No, there'll, there'll definitely be some hands-on, so just dressed comfortably and appropriately and uh, get ready to learn. It's a lot of fun. RIM Training AZ. Y'all also specialize in putting together training classes for corporate. Yes, Corporate, uh, we do, like I said, corporate, private events. We do hospitality. We've been in the huge in the hotel industry, bringing it there so their guests and their clients are, they feel more safe and, and adapted to any environment or any situation. Um, we really are just open to uh, teaching and getting it out to the public to make them safer and more aware and 
feel confident in the ability to handle almost basically anything. Now, is it just you two guys, or do you have a, a team as well? We do have a small team right now. There's uh, one of us are usually generally there, um, but we are growing in our instructors. We have several other others that are we're developing and, and teaching and how to convey this information to the average person. So, yes, there's a handful of us. And y'all are based out of the Phoenix metro area. You had mentioned you're originally from Williams, Arizona. I would imagine you all would travel, permitted you had the time to get to the location and back and before you have to go serve your next warrant yeah so we're uh we're definitely growing um we're we're expanding kind of the southwestern region we're looking arizona colorado california nevada um and maybe even expanding up to utah but uh yeah we're we're definitely growing within this region and making making sure that when we show up that uh, we have the large enough party or size to actually teach and give this information to you. So. Hopefully everyone listening has been through a CPR class. If not, you can take that here, but y'all take it to the next level on trauma where we're going from, you know, a, a injury that's going to take a little while to recover from to a, a life-threatening. You've got, you know, we're, we're, met, we're dealing in matter of seconds and minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's ultimately what we want to do is just bridge the gap between when first responders show up to the actual individual or family members and friends being on scene, rendering aid, keeping them alive and buying those valuable, precious seconds. Well, thanks for spending your Saturday morning here with Rosie on the house and uh, give your website and phone number. Um, so our website is rimtrainingaz.com. Again, that's rimtrainingaz.com. Um, and you can reach me at uh, 623-692-7520. Again, that's 623-692-7520. All right, that's the 7 o'clock hour here at Rosie on the House. We cover interesting Arizona people, places, and things. And our two interesting guests were Dan Green and Scott Gazarz. <laughs> I, I need to write it phonetically. Gazarzi. Garzuzi. Garzuzi. I'm that, horrible with names. That takes training all its own, just getting that done. <laughs> I am I am horrible with names. I apologize. And it's rim training. Next hour we have Jay Harper in the outdoor living hour. It'll be that that's our eight o'clock hour where we talk about all things outdoors, and we'll be covering our uh, you know we've got a lot of things going on in our holiday seasons: poinsettias, Christmas cactuses, Christmas trees. It's right in the transition to our winter lawns and getting them fed and carried through a nice uh, having a nice display of green grass. This is the time of year if you have grass in Arizona to really enjoy it because who wants to stand out on your Bermuda when it's 120 degrees outside? Uh, and then the 9 o'clock hour is always open line hour or it's anything you want to talk about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Then 10 o'clock we dive deep on a specific topic and this Saturday's guest will be our Tucson trifecta. We've got a lender, a home inspector, and a realtor getting you into that perfect home for your Arizona house, home, castle, or cabin.